and welcome to Screen Babble, your guide to what to watch. We'll be tuning into hours and hours of TV so we can tell you what you need to be switching on and what's to be avoided. I'm your host, Kelly Crichton, and Stephen Ross is here, as always. Whilst Alex is on holidays this week, we have the delightful Katie Coniglin sitting in. But Alex, being the diligent TV critic he is, has given us some interesting content for this week's deep dive. More on that later. If you haven't tuned in before, each week we'll be chatting about what we're watching as well as looking more closely at a new programme or something making the headlines in the deep dive. This week, Alex was speaking to David Vile, who is showrunner on Citadel, which is a new spy thriller coming to Amazon Prime. And finally, we go back to the future to tell you about a programme you may have missed when it first aired or streamed. This week, Stephen tells us about time with Sean Bean. But first, we like to talk about what everyone has been watching recently. Hi, Stephen and Katie. Welcome back. Hello. How are you both? Hello. Hi. Right, Kate, we're going to start with you. I, I've been terrible this week because I was just saying to uh, Stephen and Katie off here that I was in London for the marathon, which is why I've got my medal. Yay! I'm being a total running Hello. nerd today, showing off my medal because, well, just because I nearly died doing it and I just want everyone to know. <laughs> I hope you're showering with that thing on. I hope you just wear it for the I, next week. I um, went to bed with it on on Sunday night. <laughs> I had a couple of champagnes and I was like, I'm leaving my medal on. And I vaguely I remember waking up in the night thinking I was being strangled. So yeah, I didn't wake up with it on. So <laughs> Oh bless you. That's amazing. It's such a great effort. You said your friend was running for Alzheimer's. Did they yeah. did they get a handsome um were they pleased with how much money? Oh, delighted, yeah. She smashed her target. Claire, Claire McDougall, wonderful girl. She was running for Alzheimer's and they she had a target of two thousand and she made two thousand five hundred. The last time I checked, she's probably made more now because she was getting loads of love and, and social and everything. But yeah, we did it in the time we wanted to do it and and no major significant pains or injuries, you know, just the usual broken legs, you know. Did you watch you were saying you watched some of the footage last night. Yep. Um how was that? Was that did you get get a bit emotional? Yeah, it was it was yeah, it was a bit emotional. Like especially when there was a man who finished it who was 90 years old, you know, and he did it for his sister oh. who had died 50 years ago from bowel cancer and he was raising money for bowel cancer. Like those stories just break your heart, you know, and the effort like, I mean, I know what the effort was that I put in, but then and, and I wasn't running for charity this time. The, the the motivation and the emotion that goes with some people's yeah. journeys was so much more significant than mine. I was just like, it is, it would just really choke you up. It's just a, it's a, an amazing display of the best side of being, being good Absolutely. people, good humans or whatever, you know, um, but yeah, it was. A, it was I sat. I sat on the couch on Sunday afternoon eating pizza. So in many ways, you know, I was. I was with you in, in spirit. Somebody's got to do that. Somebody's got to do that too, Katie. I think you've 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 done a plenty of effort in the past as well. So, um, yeah. so yeah. So I uh, am not going to be the best TV reviewer this week. But anyway, so tell us, Katie, why don't you go first this week? What have you been watching? Well, I feel like it's almost a bit hack to mention Succession. It's like. Yes, everybody's aware of how great Succession is. But in, in addition, so I've watched Succession. I Because I am an anorak and something of an obsessive, I've watched Succession, but I've also watched it several times. And so Have this you? week, over a week, I was going back and watching the first few episodes because I thought given the latest events and given they're wrapping things up, mm. I sort of wanted to see how it related to how it started yeah. and what kind of echoes they had because the writers are so clever. Yeah. And it was really impressive. There's this scene, so that you know, 
if um so you think they had a vision from day one basically yeah, of the whole thing yeah, yeah well there was this this thing in the in the second episode where um logan is in hospital with a stroke in the first time round and roman says for the first time i'm interested in maybe stepping up and then kendall says bro i love you but you are not a serious person which turns out to be the exact phrase that like is Logan Roy's last phrase to his kids. Yeah. And so I was like, they know what they're doing. They're so clever with that kind of um, mm. those echoes mm-hmm. and that it's just so beautifully written. And the, But the other thing that I found genuinely quite fun and fascinating is in the very first episode, it's not a speaking part, but Roman has a wife and two kids. Never, never seen again. <laughs> Clearly got no excited. They were like, oh, no, that's dead. Yeah, it was great. I was like, oh, so they clearly had some slightly different ideas about what Roman was going to get up to. And, and so do you think Roman has a wife and two kids that they don't talk about? Or no, they just changed they, the, they who Roman they, was? Well, usually, you know, they'll write the pilot and then, yeah. then they'll write yeah, further episodes further along. I'm not sure how Jesse Armstrong would have done it, but I think in this instance, they must have written it thinking that that made sense for his character. And then in the second episode, you know, yeah. it might be a lot more fun if we just have somebody who's a sexual deviant. <laughs> <laughs> and so we went from there. So, it's, But um, we don't see uh, much of Kendall's uh, family either, though, do we? It doesn't, it doesn't really play into the thing very much. No, I think it's that rich thing, isn't it? It's like if you've got the money to get outsource somebody else, the children. You can outsource, yeah, mm. out, outsource. Thank you, that's the phrase. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I just love that show. I was saying to our colleague Nick uh, yesterday that I'll be genuinely a bit bereft when it I ends because it turns Monday from oh no, here's Monday yeah. to hey, hey well, succession. My benchmark is always if you if you're shouting at the telly, it's really good. And succession is a shout <laughs> at the telly, isn't it? It's a no, don't do that. Oh my god, why are you doing that? Please don't do that. Whatever. Um, I haven't seen I this week's yet, so um, yeah, that I won't spoil it. But there was a scene in it, and I will not spoil it. It's got um Alexander Skarsgård in it, but there's a scene in it where he delivers a speech that I had to pause. I had to pause it because I was laughing so oh, hard. Oh, really? So, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So I'll, I'll look forward to hearing what you think of oh, it. Oh, good. Okay, cool. And what else? Anything else on the telly at the moment that you're enjoying? Um, Let me see. Uh, how about you, Stephen? Um, let me think for a second. I've been a bit bad. The only, the only TV I've been watching is The Snooker, and uh, it's not a sports snooker. podcast. So get, yeah. Oh. And then last night I was at the Crucible, which is pretty cool. But that, oh, that cool. wasn't on TV. This is turning into a podcast about sporting events for some reason. <laughs> yeah. um, but in terms of like a couple of good films that I've seen recently. Mm. Um, so last week, Nobody with um, Bob Odenkirk got added onto Netflix. And it was okay. the kind of film that when it was out at cinema, I knew I'd really enjoy it, mm. but I missed it at the cinema. Mm-hmm. But I also knew it was the kind of film that would sort of end up streaming in the not too distant future okay. so I waited for it to come out yeah. and yeah it was a really really good time it was very much like John Wick but I would say I mean I've not seen the latest John Wick but, but definitely better than the first three John Wick films but that sort of style of just mindless violence and like wish fulfillment it's Bob Odenkirk is a sort of an everyman and he's he's a family man and he's sort of bored with his day-to-day life kind of like his character in the black and white scenes in Better Call Saul. Mm. And then after a home invasion, you realise that he used to be like an elite auditor for, you know, like the CIA, and he would go around and clean up the messes that they couldn't handle. Okay, interesting. he goes on a sort of violent binge. 
Okay. That was really fun. Um, and then I also <laughs> saw at my local independent cinema, I saw Raging Bull because Ooh. I think it's the 40th anniversary. Who so starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci. Wow. Um, about the life of boxer Joe LaMotta. Yeah. Uh, I'd seen it before, but it was really good to see mm. on the big screen. Fantastic mm. film, directed by Martin, Martin Scorsese, one of his best, I'd say, other than maybe Goodfellas. Yeah, um, no, that's, highly, yeah, that's, that's, that's a contra- contra- controversial statement, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. it's like the best Martin Scorsese film. Yeah. It's like, it's first amongst equals. Another podcast it? series yeah. there that Katie's got a head up, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah I would, I, I, I'd be like, I'm just saying, hey, The Age of Innocence is a spectacular film oh, right now. That's yeah. pumping for That's that interesting. one. So, I've never seen Raging sorry, Bull, which is terrible. Uh, so I really need to watch that, don't I? It's on one of my classics I've never watched list. Yeah. I'm impressed you watched it twice. I watched it. It's a brilliant film. Heavy. It's brutal. Yeah. It's really very cr- heavy. Horrible man, and it's got yeah. so much it's about sort of sexual jealousy and the potency of, of that sort of male rage. And it's just, it's a really heavy watch, so I can't imagine willingly going into it again. But, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was about six years between watches, but um, <laughs> it very, very good, extremely well shot film. Cool. So, that's probably doing the rounds in some indie cinemas and stuff at the moment. So, the first one it you should, talked yeah. about was called Nobody. Nobody? Nobody. Okay, and that's on Netflix. Yep. Cool, cool. Um, Yeah, I, go on. Sorry, Katie, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, I was going to... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you go, you go. I was going to say that I just occur- occurred to me the other thing that I tried watching, because I love Rachel Weisz, and, mm. I, um, and so I was... Ah. I, Giving Dead Ringers a go because I love the Cronenberg. Well, when I say the love the Cronenberg original, talk about shouting at the television. Yeah. I watched the David Cronenberg film about ten years ago, and it's some of the scenes in it are so disgusting that I was shouting, "No, no, you can't do that!" <laughs> Don't do that. And I thought I would be really interested. Obviously, it's about sort of two the twins yeah. that um, pretend to be each other, and they've gender swapped it, and they're OBGYNs. Yeah. And I got halfway through the first episode and actually fainted. <laughs> oh no! Because I'm not so good at watching squeamish um, things. It's weird as a a woman who's it's no as a woman who's gone through stuff like this. You know, watching gynecological yeah. operations. Um, I was <laughs> just like thing. I started to, I started to not <laughs> feel so good, and then I had to lie down. Yeah, put my hand head on the on the floor, and I was like, yeah. yeah. It looked it was really funny, and and the performances were fantastic, and I was really digging it. But I was just like just starting to to weave so mm. yeah did you did you guys watch Stephen it discuss it actually talked about it on weekend watch as a you know something that yeah. was coming up and I just I was just like I really don't like the sound of this <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I was a bit avoid you know and she's great Rachel Weisz and everything but I was like twins that's all, already I was like Ugh. and then just the whole premise of the thing I was like nah no interest but <laughs> well, anyone who is interested it's a dead ring is the series is on Amazon prime. Right. And the movie, the Cronenberg film you can watch on ITVX, but it's definitely not my kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have a strong constitution to handle the movie. I think Mm. it's, yeah. Um, Wouldn't watch it if I was pregnant. (laughs) Not, not that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So Katie, you're going to tell us a bit about um, Colin from accounts, which I've seen cropping up everywhere. They're doing a lot of advertising yeah. for it, I think. Um, and I've managed to watch one episode, but you've done it all, haven't you? 
Yeah, I have. Yeah, I um, uh, it's another Antipodean effort. This one's from Australia, mm. not from New Zealand. Mm. But um, uh, so it's on BBC iPlayer, and it's written and acted by a, a real life couple called Patrick Bramall oh, really? and Harriet Tyler. Mm. And yeah, so um, it's a essentially a romantic comedy. It's about um, you've got a gentleman called Gordon who runs a microbrewery who's in his late forties, but unlucky in love. He's um, heading to work one day and this woman, Ashley, who is in her late twenties is a medical student. She decides on the spur of the moment to flash him her tit, which um, <laughs> uh, distracts him as you can imagine. Um, and he runs into a dog and because they're good people, they take the dog to a vet, which is played, the vet actually turns out to be his ex-girlfriend and her name is Yvette, which um, is played on really, really well. And uh, they they get told essentially that they have a choice. They can either put the dog down because it's in quite a lot of distress or they can give it quite an expensive operation and it'll be a high-needs dog and um, and they'll have to look after it. And they decide, because they're good people, to take on um, this dog and the dog ends up being the thing that sort of brings these two people who would otherwise not necessarily have anything to do with each other together and it sort of goes from there. Um, and I just really loved this mm. show. I thought it's so lovely. It's It's got, I think Australians are very, very good at comedy because they've got this really, it's very down to earth sense of humour that's sort of mired in, in naturalism, yeah. but it's not... Unlike when the English do it, it's not miser- miserableist. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sort of, it's not bleak for the sake of mm-hmm. it. You can imagine these people, you can fully imagine like interacting with these totally. people in real life. Mm-hmm. And they've got a really easy chemistry and it plays out really well. It's, it's, it's just, it's just delightful. And there's also this lovely thing, I think, cause I am a huge fan of romantic comedies, mm-hmm. but I find it's quite hard to find good ones. Mm-hmm. It's not just that, the show itself is funny, which it really is. The humor is really great, and sometimes it's very absurd. But the characters themselves, actually, the pair, they make each other laugh, and it's really nice. You watch it, and you see as it, as the show goes mm-hmm. along, and they get to know each other. They start riffing, and you can see why they might fall in love mm-hmm. with each other. And sometimes I know it seems like it should be like a fundamental thing for all romantic comedies, mm-hmm. but it's amazing how often writers will overlook why couples like each yeah. other but with this one you're like oh yeah, I a, see and then that's a really good point really yeah so in the episode I watched they, they're kind of being polite to each other for most of it because they're strangers essentially and then they've got this yeah. you know shared thing that's happened and, and they're both kind of worried about it or whatever but then right at the end they have this moment where they name the dog Colin from accounts that's where yeah. the name comes from people and um, but they both kind of crack themselves up laughing naming the dog and it's that lovely little scene of them sort of coming together a little bit you know because they are a little bit at loggerheads still um, yeah. where we are at the end of the first episode or whatever but um, yeah I did enjoy it um, I I. Th- I thought it was a little bit slow, but I think what why I thought that is is it's that style of Australian comedy that is, as you say, quite natural, and um, they're kind of bringing you along with them, you know. And it reminded me of um, a series I watched a couple of years ago, The Letdown. Did you ever watch that? I didn't get to that. No, it's also Australian. Um, it's I, about a new mom yeah. and um, just all the sort of 
pressures of being a new mom and and obviously the reference to letdown is about breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, obviously there's a it's a bit of a colloquialism for disappointment and all that as well, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah. and it was, yeah, I enjoyed it. So I'm definitely going to stick with Colin from accounts. I have to say, is there many episodes? Is it? It's eight episodes. Okay. And I will say in terms of, and this is often the way with a sitcom, the first episode is probably the slowest. Scene setter. And there's definitely that. Mm-hmm. Thing. And then the more you know them and they've come um, and you fall in love with them the, and you, and the secondary characters are extremely well drawn. Her mother shows up in the second episode and her mother is just one of those creations of comic genius, just a very sort of, um, she's into Reiki and healing mm. and she's, uh, the, I think um, she's constantly critical and just very well observed. You kind of, like, one of those women that you feel like, you know, but she also feels completely unique. Mm. And so the, the, the secondary characters that they sort of help, pad out the series just are, are really well observed and and it does I think gather pace so it, I by the time I, I, I especially in the first episode I will also say there's some quite scatological humor and I'm not down with that there's some stuff involving um fecal matter and yeah. I don't like that kind of thing yeah. so um I was thinking I don't know is this going to go mm-hmm. Along those lines, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. Um, and it, I will say, it just it totally get together, Steve. So by the time you get to the third episode, you're probably I'd I'd say you're probably going to be in love with them because I, I certainly was. Oh, so good. Yeah, no, worth, I do. I definitely yeah. felt like yeah, we're going to stick with this. So yeah, that's cool. It is. It's quite. It's quite nice, isn't it? It's nice to have not so heavy stuff in your yeah. <laughs> inbox as well, isn't yeah. it? You know, uh, it's nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the dog's cute. Which is always good. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you, Katie. Right, we're going to move over to Alex now, who was working tremendously hard before he went off on holidays. Here's Alex. Citadel is a new spy drama coming to Amazon Prime Video this week. It follows two amnesiac spies, played by Richard Madden and Priyanka Chopra Jonas, who have to try and remember their past lives when a new threat emerges from the shadows. It was created by the Russo brothers, who you'll know from their Marvel films, you know, Captain America, The Avengers, that kind of thing. And the plan is that this show will be the first instalment in a big new global franchise for Amazon. Uh, They're already working on spin-offs set in Italy and India, following different Citadel agents around the world. And I think the hope or the plan is that it's going to build up to something that'll work sort of like a like a cross between the Avengers and sort of NCIS, Law and Order, that kind of TV show. So ahead of the release of Citadel, I spoke to Priyanka Chopra Jonas, Joe Russo and the writer, David Vile, uh, who you'll know from Hunters, which is another Amazon series that Stephen recommended a few episodes back. They all told me about the production of the show, their spy genre influences, some of the challenges they face getting the show off the ground, that kind of thing. You can find transcribed versions of those interviews on our website, uh, but right now on Screen Babble, we've got an excerpt of my interview with David Vile. Hey, Alex. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Well, good How are you doing? Now. How are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you you sort of came to Citadel a little bit later. You sort of joined when production started already. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about sort of how you got involved with the show. Um, sort of, did you have a relationship with the with the Russos already, or was that through Amazon? Yeah, it, it was through Amazon. Um, you know, I've had a, a wonderful uh, and long relationship with Amazon. They've been my creative family for Hunters and Solos, and, and we have a deal together. Um, and so they brought me on. Uh, and through the process, I met the incredible 
Joe and Anthony uh, Russo and, and have just had the time of my life collaborating with them and with Richard and Priyanka and Stanley uh, in this really resplendent, you know, world of, of Citadel. I was curious how the show, I guess, might have changed when you came on board or, I mean, where do you see your sort of your voice and your contributions in the in the show. Yeah, well, you know, Citadel is such a massive collaboration, right? It's one of the biggest shows I think that Amazon is is doing, and and so just having a fresh perspective and fresh eyes is key, I think, to any sort of creative process. Uh, so coming in, I think I was able to serve almost in those initial days and weeks as as those fresh eyes, as the audience, right? What is an audience? What would they respond to? What would they understand? You know, what sort of working. Um, and so it, that was really a thrill, right? It was just to continue to hammer um, home the notion of character first, character forward, and these delicious, incredible characters with Mason Kane and Nadia Singh, um, ensuring that their stories were serviced uh, was really key, you know? So um, there was so much incredible work already done, and, and uh, for me to come on board, I, I, I think it got even more... I think special and exciting. So it was, it was just, but it really was such a team effort. Um, and that's what made it so, so rich uh, and so unique. You're an, ex- an executive producer on this as well. I'm right in thinking. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So how do you sort of balance that with kind of the demands of being a writer? Do you ever find yourself sort of going, you know, typing exterior shot, mountain range, and then there's a little voice going, oh, that's another $100,000. Like, Every day. Uh, Every day. Yeah. It's, it's a constant battle. You know, I, I allow myself, uh, and I've learned this over a number of shows, to just have freedom on the page, uh, not to sort of self-edit or self-censor, but really just to have freedom on the page. Um, it's how I could tell the best story. What I would say is then I sort of put my producer hat on, my executive producer hat on, or my showrunner hat on, um, and say, how are we going to do this? How are the actors going to, um, you know, uh, you know, get there on this day? How much time will they have to do the scene? All the sort of technical and logistical questions begin to come, you know, flood in. Um, but what I also love is there are two or three processes to the writing. There's the initial creation, then there's the revision process, and then there's the production process. And the production process always creates great limitations and challenges. And I often find genuinely that the most interesting scenes or the most interesting emotional beats uh, come from those limitations and challenges. All right, we can't go here. We can't do this. What are we going to do? You know, we have five days to shoot this thing, you know, or to write something new. What are we going to do? That's when, like, it's in those key moments that I think some of the most inspired ideas out of necessity come through. And so I love that. Like, I always leave myself and the work open uh, to those new discoveries and new inventions. Um, so I, I love, I actually love that that synergy. It's like one complements the other. One hat sort of complements the other. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of sort of moving pieces in this, you know, characters, locations, time zones, who knows what, when. Is that quite difficult to keep track of? Oh, my God. It's 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 near impossible. It's so hard. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's, yes, the timelines, the identities, the truths and the secrets that any character knows at a certain time. These are spies, so they're born liars. They're paid liars. So it's like, are they lying to the audience? Are they lying to each other? Are they lying to themselves? Um, and and it's really working with, especially you know, Richard and Priyanka. Uh, every day when they come to set, you know, it's all right. What does this character know at this moment? Uh, what are the secrets that they're holding? Who, you know, what persona are they playing? What percentage of Mason is within him? What percentage of Kyle's within him? And it takes uh, artists and actors, you know, with, with great capacity to be able to balance all of that. 
uh, to really pull that off. And, and so I was so impressed uh, by Richard and by Pri uh, in, in just their approach and their dedication and, and their discipline uh, in ensuring that, you know, if you go back and rewatch the show or if we were to put the show in chronological order, which it's not in, that you would really see such a sound arc uh, for these characters and for the story. So when it, when it comes to spy stories, like as a, as a genre, I was curious what your kind of, your, what, what's your sort of immediate frame of reference? What do you think of, and then how much did that influence this in terms of, I don't know, maybe things you want to borrow, maybe things you want to sort of stay away from deliberately? Totally. I mean, Bond, you know, Bond, Mission Impossible, Born, you know, all all stories. I wish I could say like some obscure, you know, 60s set, you know, spy thriller. But but the truth is I I grew up on the movies that I think the world really loves and has fallen in love with. What to me is so unique about Citadel uh, is not only the opportunity to tell a story in six parts in nearly five or six hours where you get to go home with these spies. You get to see them. When they're not at work, you get to see sort of the flaws and, and depths and dimensions in a way that sometimes a two and a half hour, uh, you know, film may not allow. Um, but I also think, you know, you talk about Bond, Born, Mission Impossible. Those are all white Western male leads at the center of it. What also sets Citadel apart is that we have a spy duo at the center of this. And I would say that Nadia Singh, you know, really um, propels so much of the storytelling, so much of the action. So to have an Indian spy and an American spy working together, um, it's just so modern and it's so different and it's so exciting. And and I hope that um, more spy stories uh, begin to reflect uh, the world uh, around us in that way. Obviously, you'll know this, but at the moment there's this uh, WGA vote about a potential strike. I was just curious what your what your thoughts on that are. Um, I know your experience as a writer has very much been around streaming services. How have you found that? What's that been like? Um, you know, I, I I mean, I think every writer would say this as well. We're, we're all just really grateful for the Guild, you know, really grateful to be a, a member of, of the Guild um, where, you know, via collective bargaining, we can ensure that uh, writers have a living wage, that they can actually pay the rent, um, that uh, writing is a career and not just a, a, a you know part of the gig economy. Um, so it, it's key, I think, that um, you know, especially with these mini rooms and, and these smaller rooms, that um, writers are paid what they're due and, and what they're owed. And, and my hope is that um, you know there will be a deal uh, to be to be made. Um, that that's my hope. Uh, because it, it all starts on the page, right? Everything in this process starts uh, with the writer. Um, and so I think what the Guild is asking is just to, you know, for that to be recognized and honored and, and for people really genuinely. I mean, you see these stories that, that are out there and, and writers that I've worked with as well. It's, it's like just want a living wage, like just really being able to, to pay their bills and to have one career and that career being writing, you know? What do you sort of hope that audiences take away from, from watching Citadel? I was talking to Priyanka and Joe yesterday and they were talking about the show as um, something that kind of really breaks a lot of creative and technical boundaries. I, I mean, yeah, you know, what, what's, your, what's your hope for people experience watching it? Just wish fulfillment. You know, like I, I think this is a show that is so delicious in so many ways. It's mesmerizing in so many ways. And there's great sort of Shakespearean drama at the center of it. Then there's great, these incredible action sequences that only, you know, the Russo brothers as Agbo could, could put, pull off. Um, so I, I think that this is something that 
normally people would watch in a, a movie theater, but to get to see it in their own living room, uh, you know, I, I think is very exciting. But it's a thrill ride. It's a bullet train. Um, and, and I agree with Joe and, and Pri that, you know, this does push so many technical boundaries. Um, but also, you know, what I would say is that the global reach of this series, we're building brand new IP and we're building it with creators around the world, you know, creatives in India and in Italy. Um, together, we're sort of holding hands and constructing um, this large tapestry of a mythology and of a storytelling universe. So um, that's really never been done before. So I'm psyched for people to watch the U.S. series on April 28th and then, you know, hopefully next year the Italian series and then the Indian series. And and series maybe, 2. Yeah, well, I, I hope yeah. so. I hope so. So, um, you know, that would be really very exciting. But I, I think an audience is really going to love it. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great questions. So that was David Vile. You can watch Citadel on Amazon Prime Video on Friday the 28th of April, uh, where the first two episodes will be available at once, and then new episodes each week after that. I've seen the first three episodes of Citadel. It's pretty solid stuff. Worth watching if you enjoy that kind of big spy drama action, uh, or if you... You know, thought it sounded interesting from from that interview. If if David Vile has managed to sell the show to you, which I suppose he would he would certainly hope that he has. I'll be back again next week to talk about Bridgerton. I think the new Bridgerton spin-off, uh, which I know already is is something everyone is just dying for my thoughts on. Cool. Hope you've had fun without me. Although I know I know that really you won't have. <laughs> of course you won't have. How could you have? All right. Uh, see ya. Alex, thank you for that insightful interview. It's it's never fun without you. You know that. Although, to be fair, Katie's doing a great job. So, you know, you better come back soon before she gets too comfortable <laughs> in that chair. <laughs> uh, OK, now we're going to go back to the future with Stephen, who's going to tell us about time. Stephen, over to you. Yeah, so Tai is a prison drama, and I, I love a good prison drama, and this is probably the best best one I've seen. It's um, quite recent. It it's stars, not hugely Back to the Future. Is it last year or the year before? Twenty twenty one. Yeah, so it's it's okay. it is a recent one, but it, it's one that mm. I think a lot of people might have missed because it was just three episodes and it was sort of gone. Um, yeah, but it's definitely definitely worth revisiting. Um, so it stars Sean Bean. Mm-hmm. as a guy called Mark, who was a teacher, but was also an alcoholic, and then one day gets behind the car drunk, uh, behind the wheel of the car drunk, and kills someone, uh, and then immediately goes home to his wife and says, I've, I've just killed someone in my car, hands himself in, and ends up in prison on a, I don't know, six-year sentence or something like that. Yeah. And it follows this guy who's never really been in trouble with the law mm. before um, and is a fairly you know normal ordinary guy you wouldn't really expect him to be a hardened criminal and he's not mm. um, as he's introduced to this Craigmore prison which is a fictional prison it was actually filmed in in a prison in Shrewsbury mm-hmm. um, and it's like a pretty hard brutal prison and he's trying to survive there as a sort of 50-odd-year-old, quite meek and mild man yeah. amongst these sort of late 20s hardened cons. Mm-hmm. Um, his first experiences in prison is, you know, his cellmate is clearly mentally ill and shouldn't be in the facility that he's in, and he's harming himself. And then he's dealing with, you know, typical prison bullies and people are having 
um, boiling water with sugar mixed into it, thrown in the face and, and things like that. And then alongside that, you also have, and this is this is great as well, Stephen Graham mm. plays a prison guard. Mm. Oh, um, yes, Stephen I forgot Graham that, yeah, from yeah. Recently, Boiling Point, but this is England and quite yeah. a lot of, he's in both sort of big budget films as well as independent films. He's a real fan of independent cinema, so he's yeah. great. And he plays Eric, who is like a really by-the-book, straight cop. He's not bribable. He's, yeah. he's like a proper, like stand-up prison screw, I guess. And he's been there for and a then, long time, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been there for yeah, years. Yeah, he's been there for a while. I mm. think he's one of the sort of top dogs in the in the like prison staff. And then, as you would expect in a prison drama like that, someone gets some leverage over him. Uh, his his son is in a different prison, mm. and one of the cons comes up to him and says, oh, we can either protect your son or we can make his life hell. And then yeah. they sort of rope um, the cop. Uh, Eric into bringing drugs into the prison. And it follows the the kind of bond between Sean Bean's character, Mark, and and Eric as well, mm-hmm. as well as Sean Bean interacting with other prisoners and trying to trying to help other prisoners to mm-hmm. to read. Obviously, he used to be a teacher, so he's still, still trying to use his, his skills. But then he's also very much like he's not looking for pity or, or forgiveness mm-hmm. or trying to get out early he just wants to save his time and mm-hmm. i guess try and make amends for for his crime yeah but it's difficult to do that because because you you're know, in the system that kind of favors the people who don't behave themselves essentially yeah and if yeah, memory serves me correct really yeah he has this big internal struggle about he's getting you know forced to do things or be a particular way which isn't how he naturally is in prison, you know? Yeah, but so both of them are trying to, Sean Bean's trying not to give into the pressure yeah. to do what the bullies in the prison want. Yeah. And uh, the and Stephen Graham is trying to resist pressure and find a way within the system to mm-hmm. keep his son safe, but it doesn't necessarily always yeah. work out that easily. Um, yeah. So it's it's really brutal, and I mean I've never been in prison, but it it's, <laughs> it comes across as like hyper realistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it does, it does, and it, it, because it spends a bit more time on that sort of internal conflict, I think, rather than you know mostly it's like you're a good guy or you're a bad guy if you're in prison, yeah. whereas he's they're both they're both trying to figure out what it is they need to do to still be good people but survive. Yeah. It, it sounds like a really rough watch, though, is it? Yeah, Something it is. you have to go and, Yeah. My, I remember Finley Gregg, ex of this parish, um, told, told me about it at the time he came out, and he was like, it's not one for at the end of a hard day. So, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's also one of those ones where it, like, gives you an existential crisis mm. that you, know, like, you might accidentally commit a crime or you might <laughs> um, get falsely accused of a crime and end up in prison and, like, ah. Uh, I'm super aware that I would not last like five <laughs> oh, days God. Oh, Stephen, in, in any kind of prison. Oh, so I, I'm going to really... completely toe the line for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm really paranoid about that. It's one of those things that's a, <laughs> it's a fear for me because I just... What I, are you I, people I up to? This is what is going on. <laughs> no, it's the Catholic upbringing. It's just if somebody accuses me of something, I always have a moment where I was like, maybe I did do that. <laughs> so I would be quite I got accused of a crime. Be like, okay. oh, I do have a lot of knives in the house. So. Oh no, you're gonna have to get yourself a good lawyer if you're like, I'm not sure if I did or not. <laughs> uh, okay, so tell us, Stephen, where and when and what? Where can where can listeners yeah, watch 
time. So it's on BBC iPlayer, mm-hmm. um, three parts, about one hour each. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the only place it's... Yeah, it I is mean, really good. ...where it's freely available. It is really good. I watched it first time around, and actually, a good a sign of it is I can remember quite a bit of it. You know, the way you just forget not great things, but I remember it being really good. I love Stephen Graham as well. He's powerhouse. And Sean Bean is very good in it as well. Um, yeah, Sean Bean's great in it, one of his better performances, I think. And in May last year, they confirmed that they were working on a second series. Oh. But I don't think it's going to follow Stephen Graham or Sean Bean's character. Okay. I think it's going to be another prison story. So mm-hmm. a second series, but disconnected, so more like an anthology. Okay. Um, but hopefully... The second what if, season yeah, is if, just if, as good. If it's at the same the quality, one. absolutely, yeah, it should be. It should be. Okay, well, thank you both for joining me this week and to the listeners. And uh, do watch out for Friday morning's Screen Babble Weekend Watch, which will preview what to watch over the weekend and beyond. If you have any suggestions for what TV we need to get into our lives, please do drop us a line via our social media. You'll find us on Twitter at National World TV and on all other platforms as National World. You can also sign up for our wonderful weekly TV newsletter uh, by going to nationalworld.com forward slash newsletters. We'd love for you to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so we can reach as many TV lovers as possible. We'll be back next week with more Screen Babble. Cheers. Bye. Thank you.